Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Welcome back to Daybreak Devotions. It's a wonderful Wednesday. We're so glad to have you with us. Wednesday is the nexus between Tuesday and Thursday. The nexus? Yep. Huh. Is nexus another word for bridge? Nexus is our Wednesday word of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, this week's Wednesday's word of the week. Nexus is the word of the week. Where did I get that word from? Well, I opened up my app on the phone, and the word of the day was Nexus. (laughs) So I thought, well... That ain't uh, odd. That ain't odd. But I also thought, you know, I I don't know that word. So that's an interesting word. But it it just means a connection or a link. So that's why I said Wednesday is the Nexus between Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, It could also mean a connected group or series, a Nexus of theories, a nexus of relationships, a nexus of theological points, which is what we tend to live in. Mm -hmm. And then finally, nexus can mean the center or the focus of something, such as the bookstore has become something of a nexus for the downtown neighborhood, which, again, you can see, like, that's our connection, connection point. It's our hangout. So we all have some nexi in our life. That would be plural for nexus. Gathered. Yeah. Do you have any nexi? What's a nexi for you, or a nexus? A nexus for me? Uh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Well, let me let me give you further clarity on the word. It comes from the Latin nectari, which means to bind. So it's a it's a source of bringing people together. Okay. So I'm thinking now, like our church. Oh, so our church is a nexus. Yes. That is, I think, a great answer. I think, while it may be largely lost in culture, the dinner table should be a nexus in our homes. Of course, to be more accurate, today the television is a a (laughs) nexus in our homes. Well, I don't don't know that that is um, as accurate today as maybe it was in the 50s, though. Because now a lot of families watch television separately. Well, you're probably true. You know, TV's not even a nexus in anymore. In the 50s, everybody came together because, you know, you only had four channels, and you only had one TV, and so everybody got together and watched TV together as a family. Yep. Well, at least then we saw we all could see what the Ingles were up to. Together. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. Little House on the Prairie. I gathered. All right. Well, nexus. So that's your challenge today. Go out and create a nexus, celebrate a nexus, and use the word nexus in your nexus conversation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this week's Wednesday Word of the Week. So what's nexus on the agenda? (laughs) Uh, You tell me. Well, we are going to be looking today at um, a plethora of things. Uh, One thing will nexus to another as we study on this. But let me introduce today's Bible study by taking us back to Monday night. Really, going back to just last week was kind of the process for me getting into Monday night at our Prayer for Revival meeting. 
And I shared some of these thoughts with the folks that were there in that prayer meeting. But I guess if I was going to um, give a central thought for this, it would be the the value of the necessity. Let me say that. The necessity of guarding our heart above everything else, which, of course, comes from Proverbs 4.23. Um, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. But then I also think the subtitle or of the study would be something like, we got to keep Jesus on our mind. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? I, I'm going to have to just kind of walk through this step by step and dialogue with you, and maybe you can pose some questions and ideas, and we'll just see where we go with it. But where can we start? I want to actually start with, well, a thought. So here's the here's the thing that was occurring to me in in my own prayer time on Monday morning of how it's hard to comprehend the human soul. I mean, it is a complex thing. But more to the point, what I mean is even understanding my own soul. I know that I am a child of God and I belong to the Lord and I know that I've been redeemed and I know that I have a new heart that Christ has given me and the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And yet, I don't understand why I am drawn toward the wrong things. Mm-hmm. When on the one hand, I have no interest in those things. There's a part of me that wants nothing to do with that. There's a part of me that doesn't even want to do have anything to do with things that are probably okay to have something to do with because I just don't want them anymore. And yet, there's still a part of me that's drawn toward the wrong. So that's a complicated thing. And yet, we have... Well, let me say this, and, and then I'll give some scriptural context. I want to do what is right, but part of me, some real but foreign part of me, still wants parts and pieces of what is wrong. And, of course, we do have Scripture on this. We have Paul in Romans chapter 7, and listen to the language that he uses. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. Okay, for that which I do, I allow not. He says, I I do not understand what I'm doing. I make no room or allowance for it in my life, and yet I'm doing it. Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I think that anybody who knows Christ and has has given themselves to follow Jesus understands that to some degree. To some level, we understand what Paul is saying. He goes on, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, that's a good thing. That is to say that when I do those things I know are not right, or when I feel or think those things that I know are not right, I am agreeing with the law. The law is right. The law is always going to be right. By the way, friends, Jesus did not do away with the law. He fulfilled the law so that you and I can now live according to the law. Mm -hmm. Paul says, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Sin has taken up a residence. Sin has latched on to me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So I find this law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I like that part. Here's the truth about every born-again follower of Jesus. In our heart, we delight in the law of God. We want to please God. We want to know God. But here's the other side. 
But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now we know by the language of Romans, the members are the parts of the body. Paul's calling out parts of the body here. That's going to be in our text in Proverbs 4. And I like how he concludes all that by simply saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So what do we have by Paul? We have this very clear presentation that there is a real struggle that goes on inside the believer's life. We want what is good, but there's this battle, and the battle is in the mind, and it's always over the control of our heart. So the one thing I do know for certain is that I have to guard my heart viciously, that it has to be really taken care of. Or as Solomon gives us in Proverbs 4.23, again, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So that basically means that the heart is the source of life, the real life, the real you, as opposed to the false you. So the false you is real, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I think so. It's not like it's a figment of your imagination where it's just like, oh, okay, I just won't think about it anymore and therefore it'll go away. It's it is actually present, but it does not define or, or even really describe you. Like, it is it is a part of us that we carry with us, but not with the point that we take ownership of it. Like, oh, man, I, I'm such a horrible person, or I'm such, or I'm this, or I'm the sum of all of my struggles. Am I, am I on kind of what you're describing here a little bit? Yeah, and I think to make it, just make sure we make it clear, we're saying that inside of us exist these two entities. There is the new man, which is created in Christ Jesus. Paul gives us that, Ephesians, Colossians. Mm -hmm. But then there's that old man, which was of the flesh, the carnal nature, that which is lost, that which is blind, that which is untrue. So it's real, but it's not truly who we are, which gives context to what John teaches in 1 John, you know, we say that we're out without sin, we lie. But whosoever sins is not born of God. John, what are you saying? Well, we understand that better when we understand that there's a, there's a true me and there's a false me. Both are real, both are not true. Now, James talks about this. That's why I was flipping over here. When he describes this whole thing of temptation, he says, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. James 1, 13 through 15. He says, uh, God cannot be tempted, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So that means that there's something inside of a man, meaning me, that is enticed by whatever the temptation is that's being dangled in front of me. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Now that's the next step. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I don't have to go to the conception. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the enticement is there because there still exists in me the carnal nature. As as you're talking through this, this image ran through my mind. It's like seeing those movies where one of the characters gets cloned. And so, you know, the guy's walking around and you have the original, you have the guy, but then you have his clone who is... Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. He's he's real. There's no denying I that he... I love Coco! <laughs> The difference is, though, he was a toy. He yeah. was made out of plastic and bells and whistles. Which is false. Yeah. It, he was real, but he was the false. Yeah. There's no denying it. You can't look at that and say, ah, he's just pretend. No, he's really there, but 
I guess to use the Santa Claus analogy, he's not Scott Calvin. Mm -hmm. He's not the person. Looks like him, in a lot of ways represents him, definitely influences and acts and conducts and makes decisions. But to say, well, that's him, well, obviously not. It's a completely different entity, although it is very real. But maybe the better example is to go to, in that storyline, the Scott Calvin of the Santa Claus 1 is not the Scott Calvin of the Santa Claus 2 or the Santa Claus 3. Uh, he's a com- he, he is a completely different person, although he's the same person. Yeah. So there is an analogy or a type there of being born again. There is this, this man brought out of the old life where he is blind, does not believe into the life of becoming the thing he did not believe in. Mm-hmm. Okay? And now it begins to define his life. He's reshaped by it, well, literally, and in every way. But then there's these ongoing struggles. There's ongoing growth. There's learning. Uh, So, you know, that's what we're saying. We are not perfect, and we will not be complete until we are in the presence of the Lord, but we are perfecting. And what we have to do is learn how to live from our true self. But to do that, we have to guard our heart very carefully. I made this this statement, um, or used this analogy on on the Monday night prayer meeting, and you could say a, a hundred things, I guess, but this is prevalent in our time, and I know a lot of people struggle with this, and it's an unmentionable, right? Well, what is it? It's this pornography industry. It's everywhere, and it is one of the largest industries in America right now, and it's not just men that are in this, but it's men and women that are doing that, they're taking part in it. So here's the question. Why do people do that? Okay, let's, let's, let's say, why would a Christian do that? Why would a Christian choose to look at another person in that way? Okay, e- even, you know, I know these terms are stuff the world uses, but let's just even, let's just even bring it down to, you know, movies and television shows that, that have nudity and mm-hmm. things like or or people engaging in activities that nobody should be watching them do, right? But it's what would be called a softer version. Okay, it's not right. Yeah, it's a it's a damaging thing to the soul. Why would a Christian watch that? Why would a Christian be even be the bigger question that I'm pursuing is why would we even be enticed to that when I that's not who I am. Why would I want a part of that? So I was thinking on that, and I think that one thing that's important to understand is that that all sin or all temptation comes with some sort of connection to something good. Okay, now let me explain that. If it was completely, totally bad and it didn't offer anything good, we wouldn't be tempted toward it. Mm -hmm. There is designed within us an appreciation for the human body, Mm -hmm. the beauty of the human body. Okay, God designed that in us, but he also designed the way that we are to experience that, the way that we are to enjoy that. Well, see, sin comes along, and, and, and Satan and, and the influence of darkness in the world comes along and brings something that has an element of goodness that will attract God, even the goodness in us, the right in us, the, but pull us towards something that's wrong and twisted and perverted. I think we have to acknowledge that. So right now, there's two things we have to acknowledge so far. Number one, we have to acknowledge the reality of our struggle with sin. When we act like that, you know, Christians don't, struggle with things, okay? I, I think it's fair to say we don't all struggle with the same things, you know, but but to say that Christians don't struggle with sin would be a fallacy, and it, it, it hurts us. Mm-hmm. But when we can all acknowledge it and say, you know what? No, 
sometimes I have some pretty bad thoughts. Sometimes I feel drawn towards some things I shouldn't. Okay? Is it all right if the pastor says that? Because I'm going to tell you it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what I just did. When that thing is a reality in my life and I just acknowledge it, so it's the analogy of the aggressive barking dog that's running at you. We go out sometimes and we ruck. People don't know what rucking is. That's when you put a heavy backpack on and you just go walk. But we go out and do that, and, and we pass houses where there's dogs. Now, fortunately, as I've walked these these uh, roads and things, I'll know I know where the dogs are that that'll bark, but they can't go but so far. And I know where there's dogs that won't even they might look at you and don't even pay attention, right? But I decided a long time ago that if a dog comes after me, I'm not going to run. Number one, I can't outrun a dog. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to face the dog. And I have several times faced dogs in different locations and just turned and said to them, hey, stop that, (laughs) you know, or something like that. And they don't automatically just stop right away, but they do stop because they're kind of taken by that. My theory, not, I guess, theory, whatever you want to call it, but is I've been given authority to exercise dominion over (laughs) creation. So I'm going to exercise some dominion on that dog right now. Now, I know somebody's out there thinking, well, the first time you get your finger bit off, well, hey, guess what? If he bites, he's going to get hurt too. That's what I decided. <laughs> Whole other story. But um, it's, it's that way with, with temptation. You see, Satan and the world system is always surrounding us, and sometimes they close in when, when, when we may look vulnerable, and they offer us things that our flesh that will appeal to our flesh, okay? They're like the dogs, the dogs. I believe that if we if we don't acknowledge them, what we do with typically what people will do with a dog starts coming at them barking is they run. Mm-hmm. Well, what you just did was give the dog the full advantage in the situation. He can outrun you, and he's going to get you. And when we try to act like that, well, I don't have a problem with sin, and I don't want anybody to, you know, you know. well, we're just like Pharisees because Pharisees, struggle like anybody else, but they were so concerned about what everybody thought of them that they tried to carry themselves as being above that. Right. Well, you just empower the temptation then. You have just exposed your weak side to the temptation. It's about to bite you in your running shoe. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and I think, too, we've also also increased the distance of of the inevitable fall. And uh, we don't have to go much further than a few decades back in our own movement to see that that was the prevailing preaching. You know, the preacher has to live and conduct in such a way like he's got it all figured out. And what happened? We've all got a long laundry list of men and women that at one point in time we really held in a position of high respect Mm -hmm. that fell. They looked untouchable. Boy, they look like their family had it all together. And then their children falls apart, their marriage falls apart, their their morality falls apart, and it's like, oh, that that's so terrible. But then we've also seen people that were very upfront and honest about their struggle. Hey, I, I wrestle with this. And then maybe something comes up and they're y'all gotta hold me accountable. Help me with this. And then you actually see more victory mm-hmm. over it as well. Well, they've done what you've said. They've acknowledged the barking dogs, and they refused to give in to the dog, and they fought it when necessary. Sometimes they got bit. But there was that ultimate victory that came because they didn't try to act like it wasn't there when everybody and their brother could hear the same dogs barking. Yeah, and 
unfortunately, what happens most of the time to those those people that will acknowledge it is they get cast aside. They get ostracized. Huh. You know, because what? Why? Because over here, we don't want to acknowledge that we have problems. I thank God that I'm not like these yes, men. Yes, perfect, perfect illustration. So that's the first thing is acknowledge that the temptation is there, but it's acknowledging that that temptation is appealing to the part of me that is false, mm-hmm. not the true me. So now I have power over that by looking at it and saying, I see you. I know that thought's there. I don't want that thought. The, the, the true part of me that's in Jesus didn't originate that thought. The part of me that wants to be unleashed to act on that desire is not the true me. Therefore, I am not going to follow it. You can bark all you want to. I mean, it's just like turning to the dog and saying, stop it. Because eventually the dog will stop. Or it will attack you. But if it attacks you, fight back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... The analogy always breaks down somewhere. Well, but no, that's when the resist the devil and he will flee from you comes in. Yeah, when, resistance may escalate before it's over. Yeah, you, you we're going to have to fight, but then that's where we tap into that strength which prevails, that, that part of the divine nature of God in us that says you're not going to fight alone. If it comes to the point that you've got to fight, understand you're not doing it in your own power and you're not doing it in your own might. So we come back to the idea that... Um, when, when we are drawn by something, enticed into something, I think it helps to also acknowledge that it's probably connected to something that is good. Or I'm, I'm trying to think of a better way to say that. Sin carries pleasure. Pleasure's not always bad if it's found in righteousness. So as you're talking, I'm reminded of something that I read in the book that you recommended for our way of holiness, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he quotes something from John Ortenberg where he talks about— Ortenberg. What did I say? You've said Ortenberg for the last three weeks, and I kept wanting— Oh, man. He said Ortenberg again. John Ortenberg. But he talks about how limitations is where we find God's will for our life, and he, he really does a great job of outlining that as well. We struggle with stuff when we try to enjoy stuff, outside of the limitations and the parameters that God has created for that enjoyment. Mm -hmm. And that's the draw of the wicked one is to say, yeah, okay, what God created is good, but but look, he's holding out on you. It's better if you cross that line. When in all reality, no, it's actually better to stay in the limitations and the parameters that God has set because that's where we find God's will for us. And that's where we learn how to enjoy the fullness of life with God Mm -hmm. rather than just... You know, constantly running from the dogs and not even really having the time or energy to give to God. Like, I'm just trying to survive. Well, you can survive by learning to be who you are and acting like who you are and facing the reality of these things. We, We won't have time to do much with this today. But just to finish that thought, why do men and women look at others that are not their own? Well, I thought, well, you could ask David that, right? Yeah. But that illustrates it that... It always starts from a natural place. It's connected to that appreciation. There is something in there. And so what happens is a thought comes, but we then have a choice to make. Once the thought enters our mind, and it's a, it's, it's a thought that actually has a temptation with it, that has an enticement, we have to do something about that right away. That's when we need to look at the dog. That's when we need to say, no, you're just a barking dog. You have no power over me. That is not even... That has no appeal to my true self. Because if we don't do that, what we'll experience next 
is that thought towards something that is not right, not ours, that is forbidden, will create a desire which begins to rise from a deeper place in us. Now, I'm not only thinking about this, I'm actually feeling like how that would be nice. Maybe I want that. Mm -hmm. Now I've gone farther than I really ought to go. But even then, if we get that far, it's the recognition of that and saying, wait a minute, that's, that is not the true me, that is not who I am in Christ, and I have to look that dog in the face, and I have to rebuke that. So rebuke it, resist it. Um, it's connected to something that's good inside of us, but it's a false good. The, the connection is a false good that it's offering. It's a plagiarism because it's a snare to our soul, and it's the enemy's way to bring down my mind but when I go to Proverbs 4, which we'll do tomorrow, I guess, but when we go to Proverbs 4, we see how the enemy attacks our mind by way of our, what did Paul say in Romans 7? Our members, our eyes, our ears, our feet, our mouth are all mentioned there. And so he comes to my mind through my eyes or ears so that he can assault my good heart in Christ and lead me to act out of my flesh from my carnal, unregenerate nature, also known as the self. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of words I just said, but I hope I didn't get, I hope I didn't lose people along the way. So, bottom line, that's why we're told guard our hearts. That is the central point. Let me just outline um, Proverbs four real quickly, and then we'll leave it there because the last parts we'll come back to tomorrow. If you look at Proverbs four, the way I would, so the the phraseology that a lot of lingo we've been using lately, the way of holiness, that's just a way of talking here. Proverbs 4 is a chapter on the way of holiness. It really is a lot about it. So if you look at the first 13 verses, and the listener can do this, but it talks a lot about the supremacy or the priority of wisdom, of getting the wisdom that, that is offered, of how, how, we, how we need that. We need to, you know, that verse says, uh, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. And, and so the, the priority of wisdom then, verse 14 through 22, you have the path of righteousness, which is put forth to us. Um, now, it's, been, it's made very clear that there is a path of righteousness, but it also has this alternative path alongside of it that's constantly there if you want to take it, right? So enter not into the path of the wicked, go not in the way of the evil man, but we're to walk the path of, of the just, which is described as the path of the just is as, is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. That's the way we're supposed to be walking and journeying. So the, 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 you got the priority of wisdom. That's where we start. We've got to have that in our heart. Then we walk the path of righteousness or, or the way of righteousness. But then verse 23 through 27 talks about the citadel of, of our life, which is our heart. Proverbs 4.23, we've quoted, quoted it twice already, but you keep your heart with all diligence because out of it life issues forth to you. I used this analogy in the church a while back. If you've got one good source of water among miles, square, just miles and miles, square miles of desert, you're going to protect that water hole. Mm-hmm. You don't want anybody poisoning that one source of water you've got. And you protect it very, you know, with everything you've got, you're going to protect that. And that's the way God says we should treat our heart. Now, what we'll get into tomorrow is how that citadel is protected and how it is assaulted by the enemy by way of coming at us through our members, through our mind, ultimately to try to get our heart. So until then, we hope you have a great rest of your day. We look forward to seeing you next time.
thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.